The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1. Book 3, The Parliament of Paris. Chapter 5, Lomini's Thunderbolts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 3, Chapter 5, Lomini's Thunderbolts. Arise, Lomini Brienne, here is no case for letters of jussion, for faltering or compromise. Thou seest the whole loose fluent population of Paris, whatsoever is not solid and fixed to work, inundating these outer courts like a loud destructive deluge, the very basoche of lawyers' clerks talk sedition. The lower classes in this duel of authority with authority, Greek, throttling Greek, have ceased to respect the city watch. Police satellites are marked on the back with chalk. The M signifies mouchard, spy. They are hustled, hunted like ferrae naturae. Subordinate rural tribunals send messengers of congratulation, of adherence. Their fountain of justice is becoming a fountain of revolt. The provincial parliament look on with intent eye, with breathless wishes, while their elder sister of Paris does battle. The whole twelve are of one blood and temper. The victory of one is that of all. Ever worse it grows. On the 10th of August there is plaint omitted touching the prodigalities of Cologne and permission to proceed against him. No registering, but instead of it denouncing of dilapidation, peculation, and ever the burden of the song, States General. Have the royal armories no thunderbolt that thou couldst, O Lomini, with red right hand, launch it among these demosthenic theatrical thunder-barrels, mere resonant noise for the most part, and shatter and smite them silent? On the night of the 14th of August, Lomini launches his thunderbolt, or handful of them. Letters named of the seal, de cachet, as many as needful, some six score and odd, are delivered overnight. And so, next day betimes, the whole Parliament, once more set on wheels, is rolling incessantly towards Troy in Champagne, escorted, says history, with the blessings of all people, the very innkeepers and postilions looking gratuitously reverent. This is the 15th of August, 1787. What will not people bless in their extreme need? Seldom had the Parliament of Paris deserved much blessing, or received much. An isolated body corporate, which, out of old confusions, while the sceptre of the sword was confusedly struggling to become a sceptre of the pen, had got itself together, better and worse, as body corporates do, to satisfy some dim desire of the world, and many clear desires of individuals, and so had grown in the course of centuries, on concession, on acquirement and usurpation, to be what we see it, a prosperous social anomaly deciding lawsuits, sanctioning or rejecting laws, and withal disposing of its places and offices by sale for ready money, which method, sleek President Hainaut, after meditation, will demonstrate to be the indifferent best. In such a body, existing by purchase for ready money, there could not be excess of public spirit, there might well be excess of eagerness to divide the public spoil. 
men in helmets have divided that with swords, men in wigs with quill and inkhorn do divide it, and even more hatefully these latter, if more peaceably, for the wig method is at once irresistibler and baser. By long experience, says Bessonval, it has been found useless to sue a parliamentaire at law. No officer of justice will serve a writ on one. His wig and gown are his Vulcan's panoply, his enchanted cloak of darkness. The Parliament of Paris may count itself an unloved body, mean, not magnanimous, on the political side. Were the king weak, always, as now, has his Parliament barked, cur-like, at his heels, with what popular cry there might be. Were he strong, it barked before his face, hunting for him as his alert beagle. An unjust body, where foul influences have more than once worked shameful perversion of judgment. Does not in these very days the blood of murdered Lally cry aloud for vengeance? Baited, circumvented, driven mad like the snared lion, Valour had to sink extinguished under vindictive chicane. Behold him, that hapless lily, his wild dark soul looking through his wild dark face, trailed on the ignominious death hurdle, the voice of his despair choked by a wooden gag. The wild fire soul that had known only peril and toil, and for threescore years has buffeted against fate's obstruction and men's perfidy, like genius and courage amid poltroonery, dishonesty and commonplace, faithfully enduring and endeavouring. O Parliament of Paris, dost thou reward it with a gibbet and a gag? The dying Lally bequeathed his memory to his boy. A young lally has arisen, demanding redress in the name of God and man. The Parliament of Paris does its utmost to defend the indefensible, abominable, nay, what is singular, dusky-glowing Aristogiton Despremenil is the man chosen to be its spokesman in that. Such social anomaly is it that France now blesses. An unclean social anomaly, but in duel against another worse. The exiled Parliament is felt to have covered itself with glory. There are quarrels in which even Satan bringing help were not unwelcome. Even Satan, fighting stiffly, might cover himself with glory of a temporary sort. But what a stir in the outer courts of the Palais when Paris finds its Parliament trundled off to Troy in Champagne and nothing left but a few meat-keepers of records, the demosthenic thunder become extinct, the martyrs of liberty clean gone. Confused wail and menace rises from the four thousand throats of procureurs, bachoche clerks, nondescripts and anglo-maniac noblesse, ever new idlers crowd to see and hear, rascality with increasing numbers and vigour hunts mouchard. Loud whirlpool rolls through these spaces, the rest of the city fixed to its work cannot yet go rolling. Audacious placards are legible in and about the palais. The speeches are as good as seditious. Surely the temper of Paris is much changed. On the third day of this business, 18th of August, Monsieur and Monseigneur d'Artois, coming in state carriages according to use and wont, to have these late obnoxious arrêts and protests expunged from the records, are received in the most marked manner. Monsieur who is thought to be in opposition, is met with vivats and strewed flowers. 
Monseigneur, on the other hand, with silence, with murmurs which rise to hisses and groans, nay, an irreverent rascality presses towards him in floods with such hissing vehemence that the captain of the guards has to give orders, les arms, handle arms, at which thunderword indeed, and the flash of the clear iron, the rascal flood recoils through all avenues fast enough. New features these. Indeed, as good Monsieur de Malacher pertinently remarks, it is a quite new kind of contest, this, with the Parlement. No transitory sputter as from collision of hard bodies, but more like the first sparks of what, if not quenched, may become a great conflagration. This good Malesherb sees himself now again in the King's Council after an absence of ten years. Lomini would profit, if not by the faculties of the man, yet by the name he has. As for the man's opinion, it is not listened to, wherefore he will soon withdraw a second time back to his books and his trees. In such king's counsel, what can a good man profit? Turgot tries it not a second time. Turgot has quitted France and this earth some years ago, and now cares for none of these things. Singular enough, Turgot, this same Lomini, and the Abbe Mourlet were once a trio of young friends, fellow scholars in the Sorbonne. Forty new years have carried them severally thus far. Meanwhile, the Parlement sits daily at Troy, calling cases, and daily adjourns, no procureur making his appearance to plead. Troy is as hospitable as could be looked for. Nevertheless, one has comparatively a dull life. No crowds now to carry you shoulder-high to the immortal gods. Scarcely a patriot or two will drive out so far and bid you be of firm courage. You are in furnished lodgings, far from home and domestic comfort. Little to do but wander over the unlovely champagne fields, seeing the grapes ripen, taking counsel about the thousand times consulted, a prey to tedium, in danger even that Paris may forget you. Messengers come and go. Pacific Lomini is not slack in negotiating, promising. Dormesson and the prudent elder members see no good in strife. After a dull month, the Parliament, yielding and retaining, makes truce, as all Parliaments must. The stamp tax is withdrawn. The subvention land tax is also withdrawn, but in its stead there is granted what they call a prorogation of the second twentieth, itself a kind of land tax, but not so oppressive to the influential classes, which lies mainly on the dumb class. Moreover, secret promises exist on the part of the elders that finances may be raised by loan. Of the ugly words, States General, there shall be no mention. And so, on the 20th of September, our exiled Parliament returns. Despramenel said, It went out covered in glory, but had come back covered with mud. Debout. Not so, Aristogiton, or if so, thou surely art the man to clean it. End of Book 3 Chapter 5